Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dear Lads podcast with me, Ivan. This week, we talk to Dr. Ivan Joseph, who is a record-setting, award-winning performance coach and leadership and cultural transformation expert. Ivan's TED Talk, The Skill of Self-Confidence, has gained 28 million views and was named by Forbes as one of the top TED Talks about the meaning of life. He is also the author of the best-selling book, You Got This, Mastering the Skill of Self-Confidence. Ivan has coached world champions and Olympians. He has multiple records and was named National Coach of the Year. And Ivan now uses these skills to lead high-performing businesses, organizations, and individuals from around the world. He holds a PhD in sports psychology with a focus on the links between self-confidence, grit, and high performance. We really had a great conversation speaking about self-confidence, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, Dr. Ivan. Thank you so much for making time to speak with us today. Good morning. It's not often I get to have a a conversation with somebody with the exact same first name as me. So it's a pleasure to meet you. Yes. And honestly, it's also fast for me. So I'm also still trying to get used to that because it hasn't happened before. And I probably wouldn't bet it would be, you know, happening soon. But thank you again. And and just to start us off, do you mind telling us a little bit about who you are, but also what brought you up to this moment right now? Oh, that's a long question and a long story. But I'll tell you, currently, <laughs> Ivan Joseph, Vice President, Student Affairs here at Wilfrid Laurier University. I've had a 28-year career in higher education. I started as a hall director, meaning somebody who's in charge of where young men sleep at the dormitories, the residences. I then went and became a leadership instructor for about four years. Uh, I was an academic success instructor for a couple of years, and I worked on my master's, and I coached soccer at the same time. And then I decided I wanted to be a better soccer coach. So I started pursuing my PhD and became an instructor and then an assistant professor. And the year I became a full professor was also the year I won a national championship. That took me to another career change. And I left my small private university in Iowa and came to Toronto and worked at a school at that time known as Ryerson University, now known as Toronto Metropolitan University. So I spent a decade there and had a lot of success and built a really great team of people I really enjoyed and really liked. And then I got bored. You know, it's there's a common theme. I get bored when I've accomplished my goals. It's time to move on. And so then I spent a couple of years at Dalhousie and as a vice provost and now three years, three years and a little bit as a vice president here at, at Wilfrid Laurier Student Affairs. And at the same time, all along the same time, I'm, I'm a high performance coach. I'm a speaker on the side. I'm a, I'm a national team coach and trying to share a message of hope, positivity, and, and inspiration to help people achieve and pursue their dreams. Absolutely. And honestly, there's so much to unpack from what you've just shared with me. And the thing that actually struck me the most from what you've shared so far has been your connection to sports, but also your connection to performance psychology. And I'm curious to know where did this interest begin and what really guided you to explore that path? Because I think that's really something that you've been... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was a, always a jock, right? So I was always a sport guy. You know, I remember like I, if I was feeling sick, but there was a basketball game that day, I'm going to school no matter what. Yeah. I was actually the year of my high school. I was all conference athlete. I went to the States on a scholarship. But for what really helped me pursue the mental side was really an interesting 
predicament I had. When I was a freshman, I got cut from the team. And so I remember going up and looking and seeing my name on the, you know, looking for my name on the list and my name wasn't there. And just like, that was hard. It was lonely. It sucked. It was hard on the old heart. And so I changed schools because sport was so important to me. I really wanted to play. And so I went to another school and I was pretty good. I was one of the top players. I was a starter. I was playing. And then about four games in the season, I made a mistake. I called a, hauled a guy down for a penalty red card. We didn't get to play a lot then. Then I just sat on the bench. I sat on the bench, not one game, not two, not three, not four, but a long time. I went from being a starter to being a bench player. And it really impacted my belief in myself, my confidence. Mm -hmm. And I remember my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife coming to see, watch me play. And she's like, wow, you're really, really terrible. You're not playing very well. Why are you letting this coach who doesn't believe in you, who you told me who wasn't that good a coach, impact your ability and your belief in yourself. And it was then that I realized the importance of how your mind impact your performance. And I started reading books about the mental side of the game. And a book I read was a a book by a guy named Dr. Bob Rotella called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And it was all about the mental side of golf and how you could change the way you think and change the way you played. I started thinking about this and then I said, I want to study this. And that made me want to pursue sports psychology. And without a lie, Ivan, the more I studied sports psychology, the more I did this, the better and better a coach and an athlete I became. And I recognized that there is a definitive link that you can measure about performance and the mental approach to the game. And that has been my secret of my success. Wow. And for me, it's incredible to hear like the backstory that led you to this path. And I think knowing also that it's probably put you in contact with a lot of athletes and also a lot of aspiring like individuals that have an interest in sports or an interest in performance. And I'm just curious to know what has been your experience working with athletes, especially young men that are going through this process of getting to really explore what they're competence is, but also being able to really go through the mental barriers or the mental blocks that they might experience to be able to be those high performing individuals. By the time I get a young man or a young athlete, every usually at that place for me, every one of them is the best player on their high school team or their club team. They've all been the the captains, the clubs, the fastest player, the hardest shooter, the best scorer. And so they've only been the best. And when you bring the best together on a team that's a national championship team, all of a sudden, these athletes experience something for the first time. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're no longer first. They might not even be second or third or fourth. And it's like, whoa, how do I deal with this? And they're not really equipped with the coping skills of like, I've always been the best. What do you mean I'm not the best? Well, who who's better than me? No. And sometimes they take it rather, you know, they take it hard. They don't know how to cope. And what I mean by that is like, they get mad. They lash out. Well, you don't know what you're talking about, coach. I've always been the best. They don't understand that everybody that comes here is working just as hard as they are. Everybody has that same level of skill and talent or drive. And so now they've got to figure out, well, what do they do? And the ones that are gritty and resilient are going to say, well, okay, I'm now going to buckle down. I'm going to show up earlier. I'm going to stay longer. I'm going to run harder. I'm going to out-train you and outwork you. I'm going to get to where I want to get to. And those are the ones who've had kind of that skill set all the time from their parents or coaches who have been driven. But some folks show up and they're just naturally talented. They yeah. never had to work with it. Yes. And those are the ones when they experience it, they're like, whoa, I don't know what to do. And those are the ones who get in their head and you see their confidence start to be impacted. You start to see them showing up differently. And then sometimes they get in a funk and this kind of like 
lack of belief and depression that takes away not just their performance on the field, but their performance in the classroom or their performance with their friend and peer group. And that's mm-hmm. when you need to really start working with some conversations and interventions and different skill sets to help them grow their belief. Wow. And for me, I think the biggest takeaway is really thinking of what confidence looks like in a moment of crisis. And I think, for instance, for a high-performing athlete, really being able to fail, uh, you know, whether it's competition is something that you're like, how do they manage the stress or the anxiety or the lack of clarity around being top of the game amid these really, really elite performers. And I'm curious to know, and one of the things that, that I've loved about the TED Talk that you, you know, that you made that has over 28 million views right now, and I might have like 10 of those views, has been around how you define self-confidence as a skill. And I'm curious to know, like, how can people develop that as a skill, especially in a moment of crisis? Because I think yeah. we as men, especially as young men, are in somewhat a moment of crisis. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing to recognize is that we're all going to fail, right? As we yeah. reach to try and pursue our goals, none of us lives a life of perfection. And how we respond to the setback and the failure is what defines us. And so this, the thing about self-confidence is the genuine belief in your ability right? To accomplish the task. You can have genuine belief in your ability and still fail, but how you respond to that failure is what sets you apart. And so when I say the skill is you got to practice your response, meaning, you know what? One of my practices is I got to make sure that when somebody tells me I'm no good, I don't listen to them. How do I practice ignoring them? How do I practice making sure that I don't let them infiltrate my thought pattern? Because we know thoughts influence beliefs, which influence actions, and you'll spiral down. Well, one way is getting away from them. Here's a skill. If people are always negative and toxic and coming at you, stop hanging around with them. You know what? Hey, I'm going to practice just saying, sorry, I got to go right now. Sorry, I'm not in there. How else do you practice it? The tape that you tell yourself in your head. How many times did when you were, if you're folks that are racialized out there, black kids, I know as I was one of those kids, I wanted to wish that my hair looked different or my lips looked thinner or my skin was different or I, my accent wasn't as the same. Oh man. And we have these negative talks that play in our head, especially if you've got your listeners that are living in predominantly white neighborhoods. Nobody wants to be different, but then you got to stop. And so practice the negative talk. Stop it. Stop it. You'll see me clap or snap my fingers. Those are the steps that say, stop that negative. You know what? I look good today. You know what? I'm, I'm happy with who I am. Those positive statements. Again, these are just two or three small little examples of things and skills that we can use. I got lots more, but I'll let you do the the asking. (laughs) No, but absolutely. And I love the examples that you've given. For instance, like living in a predominantly in a white neighborhood and just losing your sense of confidence because of just your visibility in a space like that. The thing that I'm curious to explore with you a bit more is also habits. And I think we human beings as being creatures of habit. And I'm just curious to know what would be some of your own practices that really are daily habits that allow you to regain confidence. For instance, if you're going to work with within your team or, you know, within your family, like the habits that really, you know, embody, you know, self-confidence consistently. Yeah, I've got a couple that are really strong. Number one is my daily habit of affirmations. You know, those positive statements, short and tight you know, the things that you believe in, right? You'll see, you've, you've watched my TED talk, you know mine. I am the captain of my ship and the master of my fate. Nobody outworks me. 
I can learn anything. If you've read my book, you'll notice the title, You Got This. Yes. Because I needed to like, you got this. Yeah. You'll see me when I've got negative talks. You'll see me snap my fingers, clap my hands, deep breath in. Those are centering exercises, triggers to remind me, disrupt the negative thought, replace it with an affirmation. Another daily habit is um, when I'm feeling low, when I'm feeling like I'm not good, I bust out my self-confidence letter, a brag sheet to myself about all the things I'm good at, right? About all the things I'm capable of, you know, reminding myself of my greatness. Right. A small letter, because sometimes we're all going to be there. Oh, my gosh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Right. That's really important. And another one that I do every morning is I get out for a walk. I get out for a quiet walk in the woods and deep breath, just cleansing, just grounding myself. Right. Just thinking about what I'm good at, what I'm great at, the things that I've done, what I want to accomplish today, just without any noise or negativity or toxic right? Like that walk for me is just a way to start my routine that says, here I go again. Let's get after it. Yeah. I mean, and that's for me, like, and honestly, I can reflect on some of those that you've shared taking daily walks. I think the one that I need to do more is the formations. And there's something you posted recently that I printed and put besides my desk that I was like, you know what, I'll hold on to this so that when it's, you know, on site, I will never forget it in a a way which I found really, really great. But one thing I'm curious to know is, also around self-confidence, especially among black men. And I think there is also, you know, the reality of how this has been positioned, whether it's in the media or in other places that has framed men, especially of racialized men, as not so positive in their own self-perception. And I think this is something that I'm hoping to, for, you know, for us to explore as a conversation to sort of say, how do we shift, you know, you know, men, for instance, experiencing and perceiving themselves in a positive light. And I'm just curious to know, in terms of role models, what would be, you know, like the role models that you've had that have really given you this, you know, mirror of reflecting on your own life that, you know, you know, that you found as impactful that some of our listeners might be like, you know what, I need to find a role model like Ivan Joseph that I'll be like, you know what, I can mirror my life and my routines and my daily habits, you know, around, you know, the practices. So you got two questions there. So let me answer the first one, which is about the role of black men and confidence. Yes. And then I'll talk about role models and mentors. So one of the things you have to recognize, and this is for the black men out there, is that a lot of folks will perceive and interpret black men's actions as arrogant and confidence and egotistical. The Caribbean man and woman, to be for example, is a very direct communicator. Yes. We speak straight. Like, I don't know, maybe, and I, I mean, I'm not sure if you're from the Caribbean or you're from the subcontinent of Africa. Yes. But I think if you show up at the door and you're fat, your mom will tell you, man, you look fat today, right? Am I wrong or am I right? <laughs> Actually, you're very right. Right? This is just the nature of the way black folks speak to each other, right? Yeah. And so you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you get, you got to... So you've learned that habit. And so I'm a straight shooter. Sometimes people are like, what the heck? No, I don't call anybody fat at work. But <laughs> if I got a problem, like, no, I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah. You're like, well, you can't just say that. We don't keep this culture of keep your cards close to your chest. Yes. Like this, that you just, you're really communicative and you're straight. And yeah. people like, I once had a boss, like, I don't like you. I, rem- I remember asking a boss one time, it's like, what's, how come you like, what's going on here? And she's, and I was a young professor. She's like, Ivan, to be honest with you, you're just too arrogant. And I just yeah. said to her, what you perceive as arrogance is confidence because as a black yeah. man, we got to be twice as good, right? Yes. We have to brag to ourselves because there's lots of folks coming at us. 
And so yeah. people will perceive that and interpret that and get jealous and envious of you. And yeah. I tell you that your job is not to keep the white folks outside there happy or the other folks out there. As long yeah. as you're being true and authentic and genuine to yourself, yeah. leading with kindness, grace, and humility, you're okay. Yes. Right? And I think yeah. that's an important piece. Now, who were my role models? Yes. I don't think our role models as black men only have to be black men. Yeah. But I do think it matters. Yes. I'll give you a couple of examples. Like I had a dean, his name was Tom Powell, a dean of students, who okay. had unwavering belief in me. He was a role model for me. Mm -hmm. I had a president and a provost, Sheldon Levy and Alan Shepard. One's now at Western, one's a deputy minister. They were role models to me. Both white men as white as snow yeah. who just had unwavering belief in me. Yeah. I remember seeing a man sit on stage, right? Chancellor, he was the chancellor. I can't remember his first name, but it was Chin was his last name. Jamaican Chinese chancellor at Laurier. And I remember seeing him sit on the stage and said, I want to sit on the stage one day. Yes. Right? That was a role model to me. I never, ever, ever picked up a golf club, ever, until I saw Tiger Woods put it up on win the Masters. Yeah. When he won the Masters, I wanted to play golf. Yes. That wasn't so much a role model, but as representation, helping yes. me do what I needed to do. There's not a lot of black male role models that I've had because I'm 50 years old and none have existed in the space before me. Yes. Right. And that's the shame of it all is that because none have existed in the space for me, I have had to rely on the generosity and kindness of people that didn't look like me. My very most favorite time at work was when I worked at Dalhousie. Because the Speaker yeah. of the Senate, Dr. Kevin Hewitt, a physicist, a yes. man from the Caribbean, yeah. right? The Vice Provost of EDI, a woman from the Caribbean, yeah. right? The leader of one of the academic programs, Isaac Saini, yeah. right? African Nova Scotian. There was four of us that built this community, and I loved it. The first time in my entire 30-year career I ever had four Black folks that were my people. And what a difference it made. I loved it. Absolutely. And I think for me, one thing I can, you know, relate to was also being a student and witnessing that. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, seeing Dr. Hewitt and, you know, Dr. Isaac Sane and yourself, and I think being able to be a student and being able to see those role models. And I remember actually telling, you know, my fiance, who is now my wife, to be like, you know what? I think I want to work in university and, and be a president one day, which had never occurred to me prior to seeing this much representation in education. Yes. And I think knowing that, you know, for me, I think this was the first real example in post-secondary that I was able to witness and say, you know what, maybe actually have a place here and not just as a student, but, you know, within the leadership of, of, of the organization. And I think I'm really, really glad that, you know, you brought that up, you know, as an example. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Um, the thing that I'm curious to know is now that comparing, you know, 50 years ago and now, and I think the beauty that we've had within that timeline has been a more diversity in terms of role models, but also cultural, you know, examples whereby you could look to, you know, someone else and, and, and seek guidance from them. And I'm curious to know, like, what are your tips for someone that is looking out to say, you know what, you know, I've listened to this conversation and I want to speak to someone or I want someone that can take an interest in guiding me in this path? I mean, what would be, you know, your suggestions to someone pursuing an example of people that who could, could, could guide them in their life? Yeah. You know, I just wrote a blog on this topic on my LinkedIn post called The Power of a Mentor. 
Yeah. Right. Which is talks about that. You have to go and be willing to ask. You have yes. to be find somebody in the field or the industry that you want to be in and just plan once a month, 15, 20 minute meeting. It doesn't have to be a half hour, an hour. But yeah. if you're just 50, can I just have 15 minutes with you and you show up with an agenda and an item and a question to ask and you with a clear strategy, people want to help people get better. Yes. Right. But nobody's if somebody's like, oh, my gosh, he's the vice president. I'm not going to ask. But if you are not willing to do the work, if you're not showing up professionally and prepared, nobody wants to waste their time either. Yeah. Right. And so I believe in the power of the mentorship. I believe that representation will change things. And we know and there's stats that will tell you you'll make more money. You'll get promoted. Your health and well-being retention will all improve. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, is that we need guidance as when you're yes. young. How did you get from here to there, Dr. Joseph? Can you tell me what yes. the first step is? Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Here it is. Boom, boom, boom. I got wow. a problem, Dr. J. I don't know how to do this. Can you give me any counsel? Here's what I'm thinking. Am yeah. I on the right track? Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. And so, you know, figure out who those people are in your sector. Find people who are near the end of their career. Yes. When you get somebody close to retirement or near the end of their career, they're more willing and generous with their time and their willingness to say, let me return and pay it back as well as you paying it forward. Yes. Wow. I mean, thank you for that. And I think I'll be going off after this to find myself someone, you know, nearing their retirement to be like, you know what, let's have a chat. And one of the things I've always enjoyed is just reaching out to people and learning about their daily work. And I think yeah. this is something that it's a really, really good point that I, I like that you emphasize. So one thing I'm curious to know is just like a message that you'd have for your former self. So going back, you know, Ivan Joseph, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, what piece of advice would you give to your former self looking back now as, you know, as, you know, the vice president of student affairs at Laurier, as, you know, a message of encouragement or a message of confidence that you'd have told your former self? You know, that's a great question. And I'll say a couple of things. Number one is stay the course and educate yourself because nobody will take that away and credentials open doors. Yes. Number two, be patient with yourself. Stop the negative talk and all that criticism of yourself. Be patient. I think that's really important. And number three, work harder than yeah. anybody else. Wow. If you continue that work ethic, great things will happen, right? And those three wow. things have been the key to my success. Wow. And honestly, I'm just going to write them down because I think I'm looking forward and I'm like, you know what, 20 years from now, what advice would I want to give to someone else? You know, and I'm like, I think this is the advice that I would want to give everybody that I know. And, and yeah, and I'm curious to know, and I know we're getting to the end is really like your biggest, you know, piece of advice that you've ever received. And I know that, you know, you've had the beauty of a long career. You've been able to really do a great job in so many different sectors, whether it's high performance, whether it's in post-secondary, whether it's, you know, as, you know, like an amazing speaker. And I'm just curious to know, what is the best piece of advice that you've received up no, there until was a this point? There was a time when I failed, right? Yeah. And I'd been kicked out of university and I was blaming everybody else. Oh, this yeah. teacher didn't have this. This policy is not fair. This wasn't it. And this dean, his name was Doug Joplin, sat me down and said, Ivan, you can continue to blame everybody else for how you got here. Yeah. But until you take a look at yourself and figure out what role you played, you're never going to get out of making the same mistake over and over again. 
Yeah. And it was advice to like, I am responsible for me, Mm -hmm. my actions, my consequences, my victories, my success. It's me. Yeah. And I needed to stop blaming everybody else and be accountable to myself. And it was when I stopped blaming everybody else. And I recognized that I am the captain of my ship and the master of my fate. That's why that stuck with me. Wow. I determine my success. Wow. And for me, like one of the things that I find powerful about your message is how it always goes back to the South. And I think that's probably like the biggest takeaway from this conversation too. And yeah, and I'm just curious to know as we come to close, who is the one and the most inspiring person in your life right now? You know, right now, I would say it's my wife and partner, right? Wow. She believes in me unconditionally. Everybody needs a partner, male, female, whoever it is. Somebody who loves you unconditionally. Mm-hmm. When everybody's coming at you, yeah. when things don't go right, when people are in criticism, who loves you and has your back. You know oh. that ride or die? Yeah. Because nobody does anything alone in this world, Ivan. Yes. I know, you know, I saw Jimmy Carter said, Rosalind, you know how his wife just died, right? The president. of, And he said, Rosalind Carter was my equal partner. And every wow. bit of my success she has contributed to. Mm-hmm. Right? That's how I feel about my wife and partner. Wow. That's amazing. And that really is such a fantastic end to this conversation. And I think for any success, whether it's personal or professional, I think having a solid partner, you know, who is also a role model is an incredible, you know, like opportunity, but also experience. But I really, really want to thank you, Ivan, for making this time to to, to chat with us. I'm sure our listeners will be writing a lot of notes and some of them will be going online and finding you and following your work because it's been really, really enriching and powerful to hear from you. And yeah, so thank you again. And I really appreciate having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And thanks for what you're doing for the next generation. Normally, I don't go on on podcasts, but because of who your audience is and how you're trying to change the world, I decided to do this one. So kudos to the great work you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks everyone for joining us on this episode. If you liked it, please leave us a review at your favorite platform or follow us on our socials. We are on Instagram at Dear Lads Pod. Thanks again and see you next time.